Welcome to another episode of Streamed and Screened, the podcast about movies and entertainment and TV and streaming and all that fun stuff from Lee Enterprises. I'm Chris Lay, the producer and co-host. As always, I am joined by longtime entertainment reporter Bruce Miller. And back with us, we've got past co-host Jared McNett returning once again to help us out. This week, we're going to be wrapping up our year-end set of episodes with our favorite movies of 2022, as based on our combined trifecta of top 10 lists. This was a year full of ups and downs for the world of film, with a handful of massive blockbusters that had been held back finally seeing the light of day, some international breakthroughs that made a splash in theaters and on streaming, and some little indie movies that connected with mainstream audiences and, in doing so, racked up some big box office numbers. We're going to be discussing the movies that at least two of us had on our list, with the top two being movies that we all had on our list. You can find a complete ranked order of our favorites in the show notes, spotlighting every movie that was included anywhere on our list, with links to where you can stream them, if that is applicable. I'm not going to plot on any longer, so after this short break, here are our favorite films of 2022. Say hello, Bruce. Hello. That's Bruce. Say hello, Jared. Hello, I've got a uh, uh, hundred movies. I'm about to just rattle off uh, from from uh, 2022. Here we here we go. Ready? What's all the time we have? For That's Jared. the sound of right. me muting Jared. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! And I am Chris Lay, and we are not going to waste any time here. We have a list, uh, and we're going to start at number nine. Da, 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 da. To get on this list had to either be liked by at least two of us. And there's two of them that all three of us agreed on. So number nine, Jared, tell us about Elvis. I really, for a good stretch of time, actually kind of since Walk Hard really ruined music biopics, I did not like be on, I was not on the lookout for a lot of music biopics in the years after Walk Hard. Um, because it's just such a stale format in a lot of different respects. Um, there's not much you can really do with it. But I went and saw Elvis, and I absolutely loved it because Elvis's particular story is such a good fit for just the over-the-top and insane flourishes that Baz Luhrmann likes to throw into his movies. And even though like the Elvis movie kind of sticks to that sort of tired music biopic format as well, there are so many just like aesthetic choices and like weird little beats that the movie takes that you really don't care that the storytelling is the same that you would see in any other movie about any other musical figure from the 20th century. And um, as is the case with some of the best music biopics, even the ones that maintain the same kind of format, the central performance is exceptionally good. I loved Austin Butler as Elvis. That was one of my favorite performances in any movie of the year even near the end when like the uh you know him trying to look at, like older elvis didn't work on a visual level i thought like the acting uh in those scenes worked uh really well so i uh yeah i loved it there was not a lot of complaints i had watching uh elvis so you had it at number nine bruce you also had it at number nine yeah and it, it's one that deserves to be figured into somebody's list at the end of the year because creatively it was so special you know the 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 costumes everything was not like what elvis was it made elvis hipper than what elvis really was because toward the end of his life he was kind of 
uh, an asterisk. I mean, he wasn't Elvis as we know him, but this made sure he was Elvis. And, um, you know, it it did fudge on some of the, the facts and it did give him an out. Why wasn't Elvis bigger? Because he had a demanding manager who kept him from doing the kinds of things he wanted to do. And I thought that was interesting. Um, Austin Butler, I remember from being on a bunch of little kid shows and things, and he's come a long way uh, as a young actor. And I think he, he's got to quit now trying to do the Elvis impersonation every time he's doing a talk show. But um, I, think he's, I think he's somebody who could be watched in the future. And he definitely will be nominated for Best Actor. The film probably will be nominated for Best Picture. So I, Elvis deserves to be there. It'll win something like Best Costumes. Something that sold it for me in terms of he's someone that uh, should be watched is I just randomly caught him on uh, SNL, which I really don't watch SNL when it's like live anymore and haven't for a long time. But like SNL, sometimes whoever the host is, is a really good litmus test for how much juice they actually have as like an actor or, you know, just a celebrity. And Austin Butler works really well in all the like stuff he was popping up in in, in that episode of SNL that he was on. So I would definitely buy on any uh, Austin Butler uh, long-term stock. You didn't have it on, though, Chris. Why? Yeah, it was 19 for me. My top 20, I mean, there's a definitely a handful of things. I mean, you know, a lot of that's replicated in your other list. So, I mean, if we averaged it out of a top 20, I think this list would be a little bit different, for better or worse. So, our number eight, collectively, the, the streamed and screened, 2022 year in review number eight <laughs> a movie that jared and i both had on our list and bruce vehemently uh, opposes no. having on on any list uh, it is avatar the way of water because james cameron i don't want to say he can do no wrong but his oh, he track record is pretty sterling so let's he can do a lot of wrong. we'll, we'll <laughs> We'll give you some some rebuttal time at the end, but let's uh, Jared jump in, say your piece before we have to shout down Bruce again. <laughs> I mean, obviously, I was like, you know, uh, propagandizing about this movie all the way back in May, even when the like teaser trailer came out or whatever. And um, when I went and saw it, it was my favorite of any like blockbuster that I saw the entire year. I was absolutely blown away by it and just like with the the first one it was some of the smallest little stuff that i appreciated the most i saw it in 3d and some of the the smallest little stuff with like you know little droplets of water kind of misting or you know little flecks of dirt kicking up when they're running through the jungle those are some of the details from a visual standpoint that i appreciated the most and i think that this one in terms of storytelling was way more ambitious uh, than the first one was because it hops around um, to a few different places. And then the final third of it is just uh, James Cameron kicking into high gear with making like, uh, you know, just a massive action set piece, which he can do basically as well as anybody that's ever made any action set pieces in any movies. And I'm going to jump in. I know Bruce is, you know, raising no, a, raising a hand. Uh, we see you back there. Um but yeah, I'm going to jump. I mean, I, I feel like it was an improvement on the first one, at least as far as the story. And I know Jared has tweeted out uh, incriminating things that I've said about Avatar on previous episodes. 
of this show about Fern Gully <laughs> doing it better. But this movie, it, it toned down a little bit of the environmental aspects and definitely cranked the volume up a little bit more on the the characters and the dramatic tension between individuals and families. There's nothing that I can add to what Jared said or what anybody else has said about the the technical achievement of the film as a theatrical experience. And we are certainly going to get into with especially our top two, but a few others, uh, just the the return of movies in, in theaters. Oh, yeah. That was like a, a theme I had in my notes. Now, Bruce, let's hear what you got. Please. This thing copied everything they did in the first one, changed unobtainium to this lovely uh, whale thing that makes people age less or whatever, brings them back to whatever they wanted to look like. Sky people, same thing. Um, they added another whole tribe that goes to another part of the of the country, whatever the world, the planet, whatever you call Pandora. And um, it's the same old stuff. And then what really bugs me about his, his writing, most of all, is that he acts like he knows what young people are saying and doing and acting like and throws it into this. And you go, well, how cringeworthy is this? Do you not talk to young people? Do you not know young people, bro? Okay, bro, let's go. Even on Pandora, I don't think they act like that. And I've only been to Pandora once at Disney World. I must say that the 15-minute ride at Disney World is much better than this as a sequel. So the idea that you would think that this was anything more, it's because time has just dimmed your memory. If you go back and watch that first three-hour epic, and then you watch this three-hour epic, you'll say, you know what? The guy kind of repeated himself, and he could have cut it a lot more than he did. There's way too much stuff where they're swimming around for no good reason. Cut it. So it does not belong on my list. I would not put it on my list. It actually, I think somebody should make a case for it as an animated feature, not a movie. And because most of it's animated, you know, I think 90% of it is featuring some kind of uh, motion capture animation that should be considered animation just as much as something else. But as, as far as a, a new creative kind of thing, I don't think it's new at all. Okay. I think it's just more updated technology. That's all it is. And he should have, it should have come out sooner than it did. So I am against the avatar, but that's okay. I got to say with, with the visual stuff, there were, cause I, like I said, I watched it in 3d. There were a couple of moments where my brain like couldn't handle what I was seeing with the visuals, because usually when you have those kinds of visuals in these sorts of movies, you have to skimp on the movement or like things aren't very clear and comprehensible. Like Marvel pours a lot of money into visual effects and none of the Marvel movies look like this does in terms of like the clarity of the, the visuals during like big battles. So you don't know, what the hell's going on during like a, a big battle in a Marvel movie and this, you knew exactly what was going on. So I, I do think visually this is a little different than anything else. I wonder though, if they have a problem doing people because the, the characters, the Pandora characters look an awful lot alike, you know, it's like, they're all skinny. There's gotta be a fat person on Pandora. There has to be. And um, I wonder if it's like the, you know, when, when Polar Express came out and they were trying to do, what people looked like and it really looked creepy 
And I just wonder if there are things that they have to kind of cheat because this is as good as they can do it at this point. Because I think a couple of them look like Brendan Fraser and a couple of them look like Robert Pattinson. So when you look at those characters a little closer, remember that. Robert Pattinson was someone that I, I kept seeing a lot of uh, in in all that. So I, I can Maybe back we'll that get up. him. Maybe we'll get him in a future uh, sequel. Who knows? Fingers crossed. But uh, whale avatar. <laughs> going from a movie that Bruce hated, hated, we're going to go to a movie that Bruce very much liked. He put it at number four on his list. And I'll say the only reason this wasn't on my list is because I didn't see it. That's the only reason. Oh, you got to see it. Please do. Yep. It's out now on DVD. And it yep. is one that you you want to have in your, your toolbox because it's a, a really well, let's, great- We, we, have to, we, we have to actually say what movie yeah. it is first. <laughs> well, I, I'm Bruce had it at this. number four. I had it at number six. It is Banshees of Inishirin. Bruce, go. It's all about the acting. And Martin McDonough, who does the, the best scripts, he's just a master at this, um, has very small moments that resonate. And there is a moment in this when Barry Keegan uh, does a little kind of a, a, a stepping out of his bounds with the sister of Colin Farrell and tells her how much he loves her. That is just priceless. And I think Barry deserves every award they throw at him this year because it is just a masterpiece of acting. And Colin Farrell, most valuable player of the year. Look at all of the films he did this year. Penguin and the Batman, this one. Um, there's another, oh, I wish I could think of the name. Now I can't even think of the name of it. But he's got like four or five films this year that show very different sides of him. And I think it is his step up to the top ranks. He's not just a secondhand Matthew McConaughey. He is really his own now. And I think people will be looking and saying, oh, he's a lot like Colin Farrell. But it's just a simple, simple story about two friends. One decides he's not going to be his friend anymore. And how the other one behaves when he hears that news. It's like it's like cancel culture, except it's set in the 1920s. And this is how people just kind of shunned people and said, I didn't want to, I don't want to deal with you anymore. And it's fascinating because you can just apply a lot of that to today. The idea that they're in another, another century is beside the point because the, the same emotions come through in the whole thing. And I think it's just a remarkable piece of acting. So the, the movies that that you were uh, grabbing at earlier, you got the Batman, you got Banshees uh, after Yang was one that he was in as well as 13 lives and uh, a show that i didn't find out about until very early this year but it came out technically last year the north water based on a great book the north water i mean i think everyone kind of got how good he was to begin with but he has leveled up in in so many ways in the past you know two or three years Uh, his work with yorgos lanthimos and the lobster, I think, was like the, the first real shot across the bow. I really think that's what did it was that turn. He was kind of a pretty boy who could play dark if he needed to. And then that movie came and it was like, wait a minute, I haven't seen this color in his book before. It's pretty good. And I think that that did change him. I mean, not only for Colin Farrell, but I mean, that was the first thing I remember seeing Barry Keegan in and. Like ever since then, I've always been excited when I see him in any movie. I loved seeing him in like Dunkirk or The Green Knight. He was a great like just scampish character 
in that. I mean, I'm always excited to see him too. And then Brendan Gleason is just solid as a rock in anything he ever shows up in. I don't have anything to add. Banshees of Inner and I thought it was fantastic. It hit me. Number six on our list, we have a movie that I had at number five and Jared had at number three, and that is Nope. Let's hear it, Jared. Um, well, this was another one of the the blockbusters that I kind of had on my list, which I do think in terms of like the ambition and what the movie's trying to go for, it does count as a blockbuster. Maybe not in terms of box office, although it did do pretty well at the box office as well. I had so much fun going and seeing Nova. It was right there with like some of the most fun I've had all year. Um, Jordan Peele will just incorporate like these weird little traumatizing details like a fist bump at an inopportune time or empty icy cups kind of strewn about um, a particular scene where something really traumatic has just happened. They're just these like perfect juxtapositions that are menacing and like never too clever, which I really appreciated. And the, the high point of that in the movie is the sound of uh, balloons popping, which I still have not gotten out of my head a scene where there's uh, balloons popping and uh, people being terrorized on a TV set. I just think it was a, I don't want to say a misfire because I put it so high and I, I still feel very, very confident in where I put it, but it's, uh, you know, there's certain elements that just didn't quite work uh, or, you know, necessarily add up. There's a lot of like stray little pieces. It's like, uh, like, like when you're putting together Ikea furniture, maybe, and you end up with some extra screws and you're just like, I, I don't know where these go. Um, and Jordan Peele, if you're listening, I'm, <laughs> I loved your movie. It, it was the movie that I saw the most in theaters over the course of the year. I think I saw it like three or four times in, in theaters and huge swing for him. You know, I think he's one who falls in that M night Shyamalan category that they, they come out of the box so strong that people expect the same thing every time they do it. And he wasn't doing the same movie that he did with get out. And I think that's where, you know, there's a disconnect, but it's still a good movie. And I think that um, there are a lot of things you can read into about Nope. I think it should be studied because I think there are a lot of little elements that that film classes would have a ball trying to decipher as to where this goes or where this came from. But for the average viewer, it's like, well, wait a minute. He's not doing that kind of scary stuff that I was looking. Well, no, because he's better than that. And a nope is something where you see him growing and doing something different. So I, I, it, it does deserve to be on a list. I don't know that I would put it up that high, but I do think it's a good, a good film. Of the three of his movies, and once you get three movies, like you're past the sophomore slump, you can kind of start, you know, ranking and talking about things and really bouncing them off each other. Get Out is the movie that every single person can probably agree on as being, I mean, a, you know, close to a masterpiece. And part of that is just its simplicity. It's, you know, that he was working with such a low budget and wrung as much out of it as he could. Us was the, the step up. And that seems like it is the most divisive of his films. And there's a whole lot that I love about us. There's a whole lot that is very frustrating about us. And Nope is the one that... I think is going to be the one that is the most fun to talk about and argue with your friends about. And, you know, what did this mean? What did that mean? You know, it's, I feel like it's going to be more of a, a sleeper than, than us to a, to a degree. So that's uh that's my three cents on Nope. 
Now we have in our number five spot. Well, it's the Fablemans. And it should be higher than that. But that's me because I had it as the best film of the year. Um, this was a year that we had a lot of Hollywood-based kind of movies. Um, we've gotten them in the, in the past, too. But Babylon looks at the past of, of Hollywood. The Empire of Light looks at theaters and how that affects people. And this is how is somebody like Steven Spielberg nurtured and encouraged to go into the in the film business and it's fascinating because you look at things you say okay that's where that came from i see that the um uh, saving private ryan things he did have its basis in a teenage film he made when he was a kid you know i it makes connections even though they may not be connections he leads you to believe that that's what the connection is fascinating fascinating kind of peek inside the cupboard of somebody like him. I don't know that Hitchcock would ever do a film like this where he talks about his childhood. I don't think that you'd see from other ones either. But Steven Spielberg is such a creature of the movie business that to look into his childhood, look into his, his way into the movie business, which could be any of us. You know, today, everybody you hear says at some point in their life, I want to be a movie maker. I want to be a director. I want to be an actor. There's always that because there's some kind of lure to that. But here you see how the kid did it. And you go, you know what? I'm not willing to sacrifice that much to be able to get to that point. I get it. He can have it. We're good. And Michelle Williams uh, delivers a performance that is just so powerful. And I think she's going to be run over like a... Uh, steamroller this year in the best actress category because she should have been in best supporting actress it was a great supporting role and it shouldn't be in the wrong place but there are things like that little kind of gems that are here and there and judd hirsch does uh, maybe what five minutes in the movie he's barely in it he has two scenes and just throws absolute fastballs in the two scenes that he's in he's wonderful but this is this is a great kind of look. And uh, dare I say it, David Lynch. David Lynch has a wonderful cameo in this, but I don't want to spoil it for you because it really, it brings things to a nice um, conclusion. I would add too that I think of any movie I saw this year, at least in theaters, this one had the most emotional half because what's threading the movie is what you were talking about, Bruce, with you watch... Steven Spielberg as Sammy Fableman, because that's the, the like, family in the movie. You watch him like develop and nurture this love of film and movie making. But the emotional heft comes in because that love of movie making and that love of film is clearly sublimating a lot of actual like trauma that's going on in his life. His parents' marriage throughout the course of the film is completely falling apart. And that was really emotional. And what made it even more emotional is that the movie, to me, doesn't really lay blame on the, at the feet of either one of his parents, Michelle Williams playing his mom, or Paul Dano playing his dad. They're both just rendered as these very flawed people in, in totally different ways that ultimately just doesn't work, and their kids are left to kind of make sense of that, and the Spielberg character makes sense of that by completely enveloping himself in movies. This was number 11 on my list, and we kept it to 10. So, you know, I, I thought it was fantastic. The, it's not so much that there are things that are keeping it from there. It's, 
it's the most personal thing that Steven Spielberg has made about himself. I mean, outside of, you know, some of the elements of, you know, saving private Ryan and the end of close encounters. Yeah. Um, but those are all for varying reasons and in varying di- various directions, you know, degrees removed from him. Whereas this is direct. Yep. Just a Abelman different last name. The name. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> so I, I don't know. I mean, it was um, Michelle Williams is fantastic. And I will just echo Judd Hirsch deserves supporting actor nominations across the board for his small role. And like with um, West Side Story from last year, which we all loved a great deal, um, there are some pretty impressive technical flourishes in this one, too, even though it's not quite the same kind of uh, flair for dramatic type of movie as West Side Story was. Like, there's a shot near the end of the the Fablelands of uh, Paul Dano's character and his shadow on a wall behind him that was, like, one of the most, like, impactful shots you'll see in any movie in the year, considering where it's placed in the movie and like the way Paul Dano looks and everything. So Spielberg still dropping in some amazing uh, technical moments. And that's one where I think a lot of the technical aspects of it are going to reveal themselves to me on more viewings, but Oh yeah. I, I thought, I thought similarly where some of the West side story stuff was much more of a consistent flex on his part. And this was for so much of, of the movie to be about his natural ability to tell visual stories coming through at such a young age and then it felt like you know compared to you know some of his more frenetic films it wasn't as flashy about that i mean like i said it's a, it's something that will come out more in, in repeat viewings when you watch it again look at that ditch day film he does he's uh, charged with doing a film for his class in the 1960s and it looked exactly like those beach party films that people were watching back in the day. And you think, oh, this is what he's making a reference to the kind of films that kids would watch at that time. Very, very fascinating. And they're nice little touches that, again, unless you're doing a class on this, you don't understand what the world is going on. You just see it as a story. And that's what's great about him. He does have flourishes. Most people don't recognize them. And I mean, Jared, uh, to to jump back a little bit more, you mentioned that he never really points a finger directly at his mother or his father as being the cause or the victim in the thing. And he does that with the bullies as well. When you see Logan, the way that he is portrayed in that Ditch Day film and in his reaction, there's a lot of complexity and empathy that is delivered with. I made you look like you could fly. God, it was yeah you know like the the least amount of effort in the scripting process for the most amount of impact on the audience in the theater i mean yeah there's there's so much about it that is you know coming together that yeah like i said it's a i'm looking forward to re-watching this and kind of cleaning more and more out of it when you see those those athletic parts think of triumph of the will um Lenny Riefenstahl's <laughs> film, it really, because he does those kinds of things, that, or Olympia that, sh- that she did, um, where it looked like they were just floating in the air, and he does the same thing, so you think that must have been his influence at the time, that's what he was watching when he was, you know, 16, 17, 18, whatever, and he thought he could use those techniques in a film of his own, so he was a copycat, but then the copycat became the instructor. 
So we are at number four on our list with a movie that is ranked very high because both Bruce and myself had it at number three on our list. And again, just one that I hadn't seen. That's the only reason why, probably. Yep. I, it'd be done a solid right up there past that old avatar. It'd be just pushing it down in the ground. But Tar um, is one of those, you know, it's me too, but a female version. And Kate Blanchett plays this just kind of demanding, uh, obnoxious conductor who has have had, she's had everything. She won all of the awards you could win. People bow and scrape around her. They treat her like everything. And she is still not really happy. She wants more. And she demands this kind of um, loyalty out of people. And she's just obnoxious. How she does that and make you still kind of feel for her is the joy of Tar, I think. Um, because obviously she's a character that you'd go, I don't like you. I don't want to have anything to do with you. I think you are a, a person who deserves every bad thing that happens to you. And yet you worry about her because you think, wait a minute, this didn't have to go south on her. But she she has freak out moments. She has that kind of, I love when she tries to disguise herself and walk among real people. You know, it's like, what is this? This is this is interesting. But I think it's a, it's a fascinating, fascinating character study. And Kate Blanchett is a master at that. She is the best actress of the year, clearly. And it's also a movie that is being spoken of as having a lot of really cool technical elements as well. There is one very specific, long, long take that is her teaching a class in one of the conservatories, I guess, that that, that she works at as a you know professor or guest lecturer or whatever. And the camera is just constantly moving up on stage around her while she's talking to people and out into the audience of the students. And it's just, it's so fluid and the way that it, you know, visually gets every single aspect of the narrative that's being told in that moment. And then also you get such a, you know, fantastic performance from, from Kate Blanchett and it's that moment that is, you know, harkened back to. So there's just that much more, you know, pressure on it to be this perfect element within the film. Yeah, it's a it's a fantastic movie. And it says a lot about, you know, celebrity and the, you know, to get to the levels of success that so many people have, whether it's earned or unearned, you know, how, however you you see, you know, some of the, you know, successful artists out there. It's, you know, there's a certain hubris and a certain amount of ego that goes with it to where they're naturally going to be blind to the ways that they are hurting some of the people around them in in some instances. And yeah, it's another movie. You know, we were talking about empathy. There is an empathy towards her, but also a pretty unvarnished critical eye that is put on her as well. Uh, and it balances both of those aspects very very well so yeah tar lydia tar number four for us number three bruce why don't you tell me a little bit about everything everywhere all at once and then jared can tell us why <laughs> you guys fought about avatar and now we're gonna fight about everything everywhere all at once no it's all about the hot dog fingers that's all it is it's a hot dog finger kind of film 
which apparently that that was supposed to be the title of the film uh in in early drafts was hot dog fingers it it works on every level but i what i love 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 about it how is how it reinvents actors michelle yo you've never seen her this good she is just incredible as this laundry owner laundromat owner who is called in on a tax audit really this is really going to be good right and then you have Jamie Lee Curtis as the auditor who's got these butt plugs behind her that you go, what is that? Those were outstanding um, performance awards that she won. What are, what are we trying to say here? This is just, and you don't recognize either of them. And then it just, it mushrooms out into this bizarre kind of mindscape that you disappear into a whole new world. And it talks about different realms and different, you know, feelings and situations. You see actually Michelle Yeoh at other things. So you think, is it bringing part of her own life into this? What is this all? I mean, a fascinating, fascinating film that can be watched many times over and still reveal new secrets. It's directed by the Daniels, uh, Daniel Scheinert and Daniel Kwan. And I mean, to me, it's something very much like Swiss Army Man, the movie that they made uh, back in 2016, everything everywhere all at once manages to be whimsical and silly and kind of fluffy, but also it is one of the most emotionally complex, you know, highbrow, you know, sneakily affecting movies that I've maybe ever seen. And just the, the I mean, it's, I, I feel like it, it's a movie that is going to be, it's a movie that could be dissected in, uh, you know, like doctorate level philosophy classes, <laughs> you know, like breaking down all of these, you know, uh, the way that existentialism and nihilism is played with. And, uh, and that's not even, you know, getting to the incredible performances. So, yeah, I'm... Well, you have a comeback. The kid who was in the Indiana Jones films is here as an adult in a really, really important way. It's one of the the key performances to this film, even though you tend to overlook it. There's so much that's overlooked. I mean, Michelle Yeoh is getting, rightfully, getting a tremendous amount of praise for it. And K.Q. Kwan, who you mentioned, is also you know, shows a tremendous range in that film. And another one of the the real under, maybe lesser valued, but incredibly well-cast members of, of the ensemble is Stephanie Tzu. Um, and yeah, it's, uh, yeah. So now, Jared, let's clear, let's clear the deck. I no, I really liked uh, everything everywhere all at once when it came out, and it's just outside my my top twenty for just my ranking of like all the movies I've seen for the entire year, which is quite a few. But like as the year went on, there was stuff I just enjoyed more, and also as the year went on, this movie got talked to death. It got talked to death. People insisting it was one of the greatest things they'd ever seen. And also talked to death by people who were insisting it was a stupid piece of trash movie that people are incredibly stupid for for even liking. And after a while, I know it's not the fault of the movie, but that's exhausting. And so that starts to affect how I feel about the the movie itself, even though that's 
a little bit unfair. It's it's the case when something gets talked to death so much, it's hard to have the same kind of fondness for it. Well, you know, there are people who are they they kind of applaud themselves for being enlightened, and they aren't enlightened. They just happen to see it and they could talk about it. Most times, people don't even go to films like this, so they just. Oh, and then, oh, yes, I happen to see everything everywhere. And I just thought it was wonderful, just wonderful. And it really isn't that level. It isn't one of those kind of hot tar is more like that, where it would be a bunch of people sitting around in a library discussing whatever this meant. And everything everywhere is just a fun film. And I think it should be approached that way, that it is more fun than you would ever imagine. Um, there are things that are wrong with it, but I think it's one of those ones that people are surprised that it got this far. You know, it's usually that would have come out in theaters and disappeared. And now it's leading the list in, you know, what's the best picture. I think it will be a big Screen Actors Guild um, nominee because it has a great acting cast. They would love to give it that ensemble award. I wouldn't be surprised if it won. And it's also something in the more, you know, industry talk um, with, you know, budgets exploding and people saying, oh, I mean, specifically one of the movies that we're about to talk about, uh, as well as, you know, Avatar. Uh, and, you know, it's these are movies that they put so much money into. And sure, they're going to break even at the very least, but it's still a risky prospect a little bit and everywhere all at everything everywhere all at once is a movie that was a, a bit of a long bet on the part of a24 and you know the other you know production distri distribution organizations that that work to put it out but i mean it did you know gangbusters numbers and it shows that you can make this incredible original non franchise stuff these you know creations that if you market them right and you get them in front of the right people and you get the word of mouth then you can you know 10 15 20 times over get your budget back and yeah so fantastic stuff and speaking of big budgets and you know <laughs> movies speaking that, of blockbusters and, and yeah yeah uh our number two <laughs> on the list and the first movie that all three of us had on our list I had it at number 10, Jared had it at number four, and Bruce had it at number eight on his list. We've got Top Gun Maverick. It lasted. That was the big thing about Top Gun. It brought people back into theaters. It showed why we need theaters. It reminded us of what we loved about movies. And it was a crackling good film. You know, I think it did that kind of, reminiscence better than avatar did it made me want to see yet another one and i think um yeah tom cruise is a force i don't know if he's like a machine is he ai i don't know but the idea that he would do something like this and still look good in the whole thing incredible it does retrace its steps but it does have callbacks especially with val kilmer that i think worked and I, it's going to be a battle between Top Gun and Avatar for best special effects. Well, I mean, one of the things, though, is that both those films are both those films occupy opposite sides of the same coin where 
Top Gun is all about hiding the special effects. I mean, they did everything they possibly could to get everything in camera or as much as they possibly could in camera. They, you know, loaded up every single one of those planes with like 30 different cameras. They got the takes. I remember listening to an interview with the director, Joseph Kaczynski, where it was, you know, if the sun was in, in the wrong place for continuity when they did one take, it's like, well, send them back up, <laughs> you know, like we got to get this, you know, a, and Avatar obviously is the other side of that, where it's everything that they put into it is on the table. I mean, you, you can see all of the, or I mean, the, the, the success of Avatar and I guess the, the success of Top Gun Maverick is that you take the the effects or lack thereof for granted. It's something where they're all designed to fade into the background as much as possible and just let you see the story and be knocked completely on your ass. And it's also one that is driving subscriptions to Paramount Plus right now, now that it hits streaming there uh, after racking up ungodly amounts on VOD, even after the theatrical run. I went and saw uh, Top Gun Maverick more in theaters than any movie I went. So I, I think I saw Top Gun Maverick three different times in, in a theater. And on one of the rewatches, all I could think about was how much of the movie in a way is just like a meta discourse on Tom Cruise's own career and where his place is, you know, in movies past and present and like at this point he really is you know the last action star we we don't have anyone that's quite on the same level uh and is willing to to do the same kind of stuff that tom cruise is how soon until he hangs it up he's got two mission impossible movies uh one that's coming out this coming year dead reckoning part one and then the second part of that is dead reckoning obviously part two i mean are is you think this is going to be it for him no as far as like the big, as far as him doing his own stunts, you know, of, of him going up to space for, you know, to film and physically hanging off of airplanes. It's well, you know, he could have an accident and that would stop it. But I think what he needs to do is a really small film, a film that shows that he is an actor and not necessarily just a stunt man with good credentials. Cause he never has won the best actor Oscar. And oh. part of that, I mean, part of that really is just because the years that he's been up for it or that he he would have been in that conversation. He's just been outgunned. You know, I mean, 1999's Magnolia was probably the closest he came. But I mean, <laughs> 1999 is kind of widely regarded as the, <laughs> the Long ago. best. Yeah, the best movie year maybe ever. And uh, we'll have to look back at 2019 sometime real soon and kind of think some similar thoughts about that. I, I would kind of like, as much as I love all of the Mission Impossible movies, which I'm a huge fan of, they're they're one of my favorite action like franchises. I would like to see him go back to what he was doing for a good long while in the late 90s and early 2000s, where he was just working with like, great director after great director you know he worked with uh paul thomas anderson on magnolia he worked with kubrick on uh, eyes wide shut he worked with michael mann on you know collateral i i would love to see him pair up again with another just all-time great director and see what they can get out of him in a dramatic performance again so yeah numerically we are at our number one film of the year which is i mean a bit of a shocker i knew that when i was doing 
when I was crunching the numbers, I knew that it was going to be high, but I did not expect it to be number one. Uh, it is a movie that Bruce, you have at number 10 on your list. I have at number nine on my list. And Jared pumped it all the way up to the top. <laughs> that's where the number Cheesy one on head. his list. Yep. And that's RRR. Jared, Chris, tell us uh, about a, RRR. A dog, a dog can never uh, hunt down a tiger, uh, Chris. That's uh, wise words of wisdom from. Uh, from RRR. Uh, it's a three-hour movie, um, three-hour Indian movie made by uh, SS Rajamuli. Um, and the movie earns every single minute of its three-hour runtime with action scenes that I think are every bit as good, if not better, than set pieces you could name in any action movie from, from this year, better than some of the stuff even in Avatar or Top Gun or in any other year for action set pieces. Like, there's a prison break sequence where one guy is on top of another guy's shoulders and they're just beating up like prison guards. And then there's a sequence where a motorcycle gets used as a weapon and uses like a weapon that someone picks up and hurls at other people. And neither one of those are even close to like the most just preposterous action um, bits that are in this movie. And I loved that about it. And then if that's not enough, you know, the music that's in it is every bit as anthemic as music that's in like a proper musical like Les Mis or something like there's dance scenes that are just positively infectious, um, great little musical gags within those dance scenes. And then the story, you know, is hard not to get caught up in, too, because it's very much a story about uh, friendship and uh, a plot that's focused on overthrowing uh, the the British monarchy in uh, in India in the 10s and 20s. Bruce, anything to add on RRR? Well, I love the the way the animals just kind of jumped out at you at the on the screen. I thought that was really fun. You know, it's like, well, already I get that it's special effects, and I'm sure that there was no cameraman who would even come close to being near a tiger jumping at it. But I thought that that was really cool, and that's it falls in line with this kind of you know, there's a reason to go to the theater. Here's an example. This is an example of it. It reminds me of the Raj Quartet because it were these stories about, you know, where did people in India fit? Where did they belong? And how did they feel about British rule? And that brings that back to mind, but in an entertaining way. So it's not just a history lesson that you go, oh, God, if I have to watch Gandhi one more time, you might as well just put me out now because it isn't boring. It's like taking an action concept and then telling you a little truth or so about what was going on at the times. You can break it up into two if you want. There's a very well-timed intermission, but it's on Netflix. So everybody, well, everyone with a Netflix account, whether you're paying for it or borrowing it while you can, uh, it's it's there for for the taking, as well as some of uh, S.S. Rajamouli's earlier films. So dive in. Let's uh, appreciate some some world cinema. Right. <laughs> Rise, roar, revolt. So that is our list. That is the uh, that, that is our top films. And we also have, based on our top 10 lists, I've got numbers 10 through 19, which we will include links to all of this stuff in the show notes. So make sure that you check that out there. And this caps off our, our 2022 look back. All right. <laughs> What are you guys looking forward to? What, what is the, um, what are your, you got any new year's resolutions or 
Well, I'm trying to get through everything that is out there that we have to see before the end of the year. Interestingly, a lot of those films that I've been putting aside are the kind of films that I probably would have been drawn to before, you know, where it's like a, a real kind of emotional film. And now I don't want that. I want escapist entertainment. So I'm looking forward to anything that is escapist. And I really don't care what you think or do in your quiet times. I don't want another, I don't want another whale. I don't want, <laughs> you know, any of those kinds of films that are, are trying to make us feel bad about some situation. I want to see something that's fun and takes me away from all of that. I think we have far too much reality today. And we need what the movies do best at, which is pull us away from all of that. And we've got a lot to look forward to, which folks can go back and check our anticipation episode for 2023 of movies that'll be looking forward, uh, that we're excited about that'll do just that. Some of the, the movies that didn't make our top top are certainly up there as far as things that are escapist. Ambulance, Glass Onion, Jackass Forever was you know came in at number 13 just missing the cut <laughs> honk for jesus jared would you say that honk for jesus save your soul is escapist or it is a genuinely funny movie and in, in some in major stretches so in that way at least you can uh let off a little bit of uh, a little bit of pressure while you're watching it thank you so much to to bruce thank you so much to jared thank you so much to you the listener and We'll be back here in 2023 with even more fun stuff to look forward to. We'll be looking ahead to Oscars talk. Bruce, do we do you have any interviews that are lined up yet for I'm going to be going to California in January. So we'll come back with a whole bunch of them and you'll find out what's new and what's happening. Well, I am looking forward to that. Jared, do you feel like uh taking us uh, you know, what take me away, Calgon? Is that the uh, Calgon take me away? There we go. You know, stream uh, something good, screen something good, stream something fun, screen something fun, stream something challenging, uh, screen something challenging. Just watch a movie, man. Just go watch a movie. There's a ton of great ones out there. Go check them out. It was a good year. It was a very good year. So see something good. We'll be back in 2023 with more fun stuff. As always, thank you so much for listening to the show, and we've got a full list of the movies that we talked about in the show notes, as I mentioned, as well as links to where you can stream them if that applies. For Bruce, Jared, and myself, we hope you had a safe and happy 2022, and we'll see you soon in 2023, where we've got even more fun stuff lined up that we cannot wait to share with you. Bro? Okay, bro. Let's go.